This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you are listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Hannah and Saida on from Veris Insights. And the topic today that we're going to be discussing is winning tech talent using data insights. This is going to be fun, y'all, and it's going to be fast. So let's let's get right into it. Um, we'll probably need to direct things because it's, there's two of you. So, Hannah, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself? And then, Saida, you introduce yourself and then introduce Ferris Insights. Awesome. Um, so I'm actually going to, I'll switch things up a bit. So maybe before I do a, a brief intro, I'll give you a brief intro of, of who Veris Insights is, um, and then I'll kick it over to oh. Saida. So my name's Hannah, um, and I have been with Veris Insights for a little over a year. So we are a essentially recruiting intelligence and analytics firm. Uh, really dedicated to serving and helping heads of university recruiting, university relations, and talent acquisition leaders attract, engage, and recruit top talent. So we go out, we combine candidate sentiments with employer data to create robust research studies, tools, dashboards, toolkits, and we get the the opportunity to work with a couple hundred Fortune 1000 companies on some of their hardest challenges one of which uh, we know has been all things tech talent. So a little bit about me, uh, I am based in Greensboro, North Carolina, and get the great opportunity to sit on our member experience team. So my role is to be an advisor to heads of talent acquisition and chief HR officers on some of their hardest challenges and priorities. Prior to joining the firm, I actually was a member myself. So worked on the university recruiting team for Thermo Fisher Scientific for really the last six or so years and loved the work that Veris Insights was doing and so decided that I wanted to join the firm to get to help other talent acquisition leaders on some of their biggest challenges. So really excited um, to be joined by my partner Saida and I'll kick it over her to introduce herself. Thanks Jenna. Um, So I'm Saida. I have been with Ferris Insights a little over two years. And what I do is I manage our research studies um, on the experience recruiting side or some of our strategic studies. Um, I've, I've been on the university side and then moved over to the experience side, which has been really a pleasure working with a different set of stakeholders. And prior to joining Ferris Insights, I uh, received my master's in clinical psychology, where I studied um, communities from marginalized backgrounds um, and their access to mental health care. So. Well, that's fantastic. There's, and there's, there's going to be some fun dovetails there into tech talent as well. So winning tech talent using data insights. So let's just start with some of the things that y'all are seeing as it relates to tech talent, because y'all are uh, full vertical. You, you get to see it coming right out of, uh, you know, engineering and and, uh, and colleges as well as probably other sources so what do you what do you what are you learning about tech talent today 
as, a, as opposed to a couple of years ago, but just what are you learning about tech talent today? We'll start with Hannah and then we'll go to Saida. <laughs> Beyond the fact that they are just in really high demand. <laughs> Impossible <everyone>. to reach. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Crazy um, expectations around salary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, we actually, it, it's interesting. We, um, as you mentioned, this is a population that we study heavily on the student side of the house and on the experience side. And one of the things that has become really clear over the last couple months is that um, all candidates, but a large proportion of tech candidates are pretty confident that they could find a better job than the one that they currently have. And we see that um, close to four in 10 are actually actively seeking new opportunities. So they're putting their feelers out there. And I think it's a bit of a different place than where we were in 2020, because with the high level of layoffs and with COVID, there was a lot of uncertainty. And so candidates were staying with their employers because that job stability was really important to them. But we see now with those confidence levels rising that um, you kind of run the risk of losing out on tech candidates if you're not actively trying to retain them. And um, they're pretty confident that there's something better that exists out there. So it's really capitalizing on what better means to this population. I love that. And Sayida, you see, do you, you see a lot of the same things, but anything different or anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I actually wanted to kind of um, go back to a point that you mentioned earlier around expectations around salary. So something that was really surprising um, from the study and from the data that we gathered were, was we asked um, candidates basically what would be the minimum salary that they would consider pursuing a new job opportunity for. And we actually found that a good 30% of the tech professionals we surveyed would actually take a pay cut for the right opportunity. So what this is telling us is that, you know, there is the popular knowledge out there that tech professionals are really looking for high salaries, but there are other ways that you can attract them because some people are have other priorities. Um, so I think that was something really interesting that we found. And some of those priorities have to do around career advancement, career development, and skill development, and other things that we can probably get more into in a bit. Sure, and right opportunity, as you as you as you will say, it's it's defined by the individual at that particular moment. Could be could be a number of things. Where, what have y'all in the data, what's what's come up around remote or hybrid or commute or any of those things? Oh, it's, yeah. Go ahead, Saida. <laughs> sure, it's, it's huge. It's, um, we interview candidates as well as surveying them. And so first of all, when we ask them what they care about in a job, remote is often one of the first things that comes out of their mouth. And we also found... Um, yeah, that this is a really important priority. We found that tech candidates are actually twice as likely to accept an offer if they have a remote work policy of up to three days a week to come in um, or to work remotely, as opposed to having no remote work opportunities. And we actually found that around 60% of tech candidates were not even open to having no remote work opportunities. So it's pretty big um, and it really factors into their decision-making more so than with other candidates we found. It, that dovetails uh, a conversation I had a couple of weeks ago where a buddy of mine that runs TA, he, he was trying to figure out synonyms for the word commute. 
Yeah. It's like, you know, you get to a certain point and he's got like, hey, you know, with this particular opportunity, you got to be in the office, you know, two, ta- two, ta- two days a week. You could pick whatever two, just two. And it's like pfft, that flat line. Um, so Hannah, Hannah, anything to add on the remote hybrid? I would say, so for me, I think one of the things I love about um, the research that Said and team put together was in addition to a lot of the numbers, we had a lot of candidate voice. And so I spent some time kind of feeding through that. And um, one of the quotes that stood out to me was a very short and succinct one, but this gentleman said, remote work is number one. I hate going to the office and want my time, my commute, and my day back. I'm fully remote and have been since before the pandemic, so I would never get a job that I had to go in more than once a week. And that just said all I needed to know about um, huh. this population and their preferences. Yeah, it's it's interesting because they drive, not just because of the scarcity issue. It's just, we, you know everyone's recruiting. It isn't just software firms that are recruiting tech talent. I mean, that's the thing that Wall Street woke up to about a decade ago. It's like, um, yeah, we need software engineers too. So it gets me to over to to something that you all know really well, which is candidate sentiment. What do, because, you know, I think it's really easy, especially for those in the Valley, maybe even in Manhattan, to think about the big brands, you know, that might be doing really innovative stuff, Right. What are, what are you seeing uh, in terms of sentiment and what they care about as opposed to maybe what we might think they care about? And Sayed, I'll start with you and then we'll, we'll go to Hannah. Sure. So, you know, I think something that's interesting that we know that they care about is opportunities for developing their skills. You know, it's really important for tech candidates or tech professionals to kind of stay on top of the game and to remain marketable. And I I know that that's something that they care about in terms of long-term future earning potential, et cetera. So with tech always evolving, as we know it does, um, I think that opportunity to work with the latest tech and to know that your employer is going to be at the cutting edge of that is actually Mm. quite important. So what's interesting about that is is how companies market the projects and the and the work right so it used to be kind of it was it was it was like okay here's the things you're going to be working on here's the things that we're working on and obviously here's the things we need your help with etc and so there was kind of a sex appeal to that um and and again software firms it's kind of easy or easier it's kind of a little harder for some of the manufacturer uh, manufacturing firms to then kind of market those those things but when we say cutting edge again that's defined by the candidate right so something that's cutting edge to one candidate might not be cutting edge to another what advice do y'all generally give to employers around how they market the projects and the work and uh, hannah uh, let's start with you yeah Um, So I think there's a variety of ways that this can be done. Um, One of the themes that we've heard from a lot of candidates on the experience side is they really want to hear from professionals outside of talent acquisition and and HR. So Mm -hmm. 
thinking about the hiring managers, thinking about potentially people on their team or other folks within the organization. And so some of the best ways to talk about the types of projects that you might be doing or to talk about the different technologies that you could be leveraging could be videos from the hiring managers. So we've seen a couple employers that have done like day in the life videos that are woven into their job descriptions to really bring those things to life. We've also seen uh, folks that have created very specific landing pages for niche tech talent to show blogs about what, you know, software engineers at their firm might be doing or might be working on. Um, those are some of the, the ideas I think that come to, to top of mind for me. I love it. Uh, Saida? Yeah, I would add that I think you know, it's really important to get that perspective from other employees, hiring managers, et cetera. But we also know that it's important for recruiters themselves to have some of that knowledge. So when we think about messaging, we want to, it would be ideal for recruiters to kind of have a sense of like, what are the in-demand skill sets and how is the role or project going to contribute to that skill set? Again, thinking about wanting to remain marketable um, and and be advanced in their tech skills. I love that. So we'll, we'll start with some easy stuff here. Uh, do's and don'ts when, when recruiting tech talent. <laughs> so what is just some, just right off the top of your, of your head, what are some do's and don'ts? And, and Hannah, we'll start with you first. Yeah, so I'm going to start, I'm going to start with the don'ts. Um, so <laughs> we know um, that one of the things that we actually looked at is why tech candidates ignore outreach from recruiters. And so I would say my first don't is um, send mass messages. We know right now that candidates want personalized one-to-one -one messages and echoing what Saida said earlier, they wanna know that you have actually taken the time to match up their background and skill sets with the job. So doing your due diligence um, to understand what this candidate might care about, what they've done in previous roles and making sure that the job that you are reaching out to them um, about matches and isn't generic, I would say, that's the first piece of, of a do or a don't, excuse me. And then another thing that I would think about is a lot of times we get um, bogged down by the traditional channels. So when you think about sourcing talent, our mind immediately goes to the LinkedIn's of the world, the Indeed, the career builders, things like that. But with this population specifically, we actually see that tech talent leverage a lot of other platforms to learn about employers and their brand and the types of opportunities they might offer. So another don't that I would say is don't um, just limit yourself to the sourcing channels that you have always used to find talent. Really get creative and do a deep dive on where tech talent is going right now to learn about employers and employment opportunities. Love that. So much gold in there. Uh, Saida, do's or don'ts? Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with um, Hannah's points. And I would say a don't is don't, well, I guess it's more of a do, but do know about some of the details around the role and don't necessarily go in there not without knowing how, again, those 
those project details and the role details are going to contribute to their long-term development, to their career development. Um, I, I would say a good do is actually to put a little bit of emphasis on how joining your company is going to contribute to their long-term career development as that's an area of interest. Um, I so love that. What are you, what are you, what are you learning or, you know, is there anything to learn around soft skills? Because as we talk about tech talent, historically, we've talked a lot about the hard skills, you know, um, and, and there's a movement in HR around more of a, you know, learning about and people being a, little, a bit more adaptive around their soft skills. What are you, what are y'all saying as it relates to soft skills and the tech talent community? Yeah, so I would say it's interesting because this is one of the um, the biggest questions I would say that we hear the most is how do we get our hiring managers to move beyond experience-based hiring and focus on skills-based hiring? Mm. I wouldn't say we've cracked the code. Um, there are a couple things that um, over the next couple months, the research team is really thinking about because the hardest part is how do you build a business case for that? Um, because for so long it's been, you need to know how to code in this language or program. And one of the things that I think um, I'm super fascinated by and interested in is this idea of, of non-traditional talent. So moving beyond our ideal candidate has had this much experience and these five things and moving forward forward to maybe our candidates could have one or two of these skills, but then we could send them to a coding boot camp or a quick class to fill that gap. And so that's my long-winded way of saying something that we are actively thinking about right now, especially as the talent market is so competitive, but I wouldn't say we necessarily have the silver bullet for that just yet. You know, what's interesting is, as we talked about your background in the beginning and in, income in marginalized communities, some of these, these, these biases that we've had with tech talent historically, you know, they, you graduate from Stanford, which Stanford's a wonderful school, of course, uh, who doesn't want to have somebody that graduates from Stanford, but at the same time, it's like, there's all of this talent that didn't go to Stanford, you know? That that's untapped. So I, I love that you 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 brought it back to talent can come, especially tech talent can come from anywhere. And you should be looking, and I think Hannah, you said this, you should be looking in different places in different ways. If you're using the same sourcing tools that you used three years ago, you're gonna get the same results. So you're gonna have to look differently, act differently, talk differently, etc. So I, I love that. Um so a few things that, the, that, that I want to ask you is about their, and it could be about sentiment, but about their desire around learning. And, and, the, and, the, and the question really is, how much of the tech talent wants to know about either internal mobility, which is kind of what they do next, or what's the company going to do to kind of bolster their skill set and make them better? Where, where's that on the pecking order of the things that you're seeing? And Hannah, we'll, we'll start with you. Yeah, um, so I think a couple things stand out. So Saida mentioned this a little bit in the beginning, but career development and um, forward mobility is absolutely something that is important to tech candidates. And so when we think about what 
career development or career advancement really means to this population, we see a couple different things. So we see opportunities for upskilling and reskilling in specific areas, whether mm -hmm. that's learning about new technologies, you know, maybe they joined your firm 10 years ago and they want to go take a class on some of the new trends within their specific function. We also see um, having clearly outlined promotion criteria and sharing with them opportunities for both vertical and lateral mobility opportunities is going to be important. So the big things I would say, in addition to obviously that being important for retaining tech talent, when you think about hiring tech talent, these are also great things and great levers that recruiters could be pulling. So having um, some sort of a guide that recruiters can speak to that talk about the different um, types of, of growth that other tech professionals internally have gone through. Maybe having a few examples, whether that's videos or whether that's, you know, stories that are highlighted on your career site that really show, hey, here is X candidate. They have been with us for 10 years. Here are all of the different opportunities that they've held within the last 10 years. And here have been the opportunities that they've had to enhance their skills really bringing what career development and growth looks like at your organization to life. I love that. Okay. Saida, any, any color commentary? Sure. I think, I mean, definitely to Hannah's point, you want to make sure that you make clear what, what it could look like to grow. And I think the point about lateral mobility is especially interesting because we've had candidates directly say those, those lateral opportunities and that lateral flexibility allows them to build new skills. And we're seeing that um, lateral mobility is especially important for software engineers and IT professionals in particular, um, especially important to their perception of career development opportunities and to their perception of what a company can offer them in terms of flexibility. So real quickly, one is one something I see from the recruiting community, especially when it, as it relates to tech talent, is they want to test. And and I, I've you know I have enough friends on the on the tech side is they they hate testing, <laughs> you know. So so what do y'all say from your vantage point around kind of the assessment testing of of the skills? Like how do we know? If someone says they're a Java developer, how do we know without without turning them off too much? How do we know the breadth and depth of that experience? And what's the advice that y'all give you know your talent acquisition colleagues? Hannah, yes. we'll start. Yeah, we'll start with you. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'll say it's types of interviews, number of interviews, timelines. These are definitely things that have been top of our, our mind right now. And what's interesting is when we look at the different types of interviews, we actually see that technical assessments are one of the ones that would actually make candidates more likely to apply an interview with you oh, when compared. Yeah, when compared to things like a pre-recorded video interview or a personality assessment. And so um, being that that is such an important way that a lot of organizations vet their tech talent, it's not necessarily that that 
coding assessment or testing assessment needs to be taken away. But one of the things I might suggest is actually thinking about the number of interviews, because mm -hmm. normally you have a recruiter screen, you might do a coding assessment, and then you might go through five individual interviews with people on the team. And where we really see is that sweet spot is two to three interviews. So if you are going to have that coding assessment or that tech assessment, maybe it's a matter of doing that up front and then having one or two more interviews and let, letting that be the final count. Because we do see um, that if you have more than a few of those interviews, candidates are more likely to drop out of your process. And so I would say that would be kind of my biggest takeaway, just thinking about the assessment process. I love it. Sayed, any any uh, any other things you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I think it would, it's important to be strategic about the types of assessments that you mm -hmm. are asking folks to go through because um, to an extent, you kind of want to have an idea of the skills that you're looking for for that particular role and trying to get that as directly as possible or whether or not they have kind of learning agility within their technical skills to be able to tackle different issues. But, you know, we've had candidates say, I either know it or I don't, I don't need to be asked about it like multiple, multiple times. And I think that speaks to this need to have or desire to have fewer interviews um, where, you know, I think it would be important to determine which those criteria are that you want to evaluate in those further interviews, kind of speaking to the soft skills that you mentioned earlier. I love it. Y'all, I love the work that you're doing at Veris Insights, doing just amazing work helping people. Thank you both for carving out time and wisdom for the audience. Absolutely appreciate you. Just thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.